good day to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good week. Well, if you're a Bills fan, probably not. But, you know, I'll share this with you. I always look at football with, like, three parts because I follow the Bills very closely, and I hope they do well. I'm a lifelong Dallas Cowboys fan, so certainly I hope they do well. And I play fantasy football. I have one team that I hope wins every week. Well, the Bills last night got their asses handed to them. I know it was a lot closer score-wise than you maybe think for me saying they got their asses handed to them. But, no, they did. I'll get into that. The Cowboys are just the worst defensive team I've seen in years. I, I just can't fathom how bad defensively that team is and my fantasy team got their asses kicked so football sucked for me this week i'm trying in general to be more positive in life it's something i've decided i need to stop being so negative it's not going to work today I, i i'm sorry i don't have a lot of positive i'll find some positive as we go through but the tenor of this cast is going to be a little bit negative. I got some things I got to get off my chest. And, you know, let's start with the Buffalo Bills. And when we talked a week ago, that night they were going to play in Tennessee. The Bills at the time were 4-0. They go out and play Tennessee, a team that hadn't practiced, a team that hadn't been able to prepare. And Buffalo just got their asses handed to them. And it was one of those things that, Started bad and got worse. Andre Roberts' deflection that became an interception, short field. But then Josh Allen leads the Bills down and ties it up. But from there, it just seemed as though the Titans were able to do whatever they wanted to do offensively. The Bills are very one-dimensional offensively. Defensively, they're horrific. And it ends up being... Because of another Andre Roberts turnover late, a 42 to 16 game. Now that one wasn't as bad as the score indicated, but it was a varsity team against a JV team. It just wasn't a game that I ever thought the Bills were going to win as I was watching. So fast forward to last night, the Bills coming off of that defeat, their first defeat are at home on Monday night against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs are an excellent football team. I think the thing about the Chiefs that the casual observer doesn't realize is there's much more to this football team than Patrick Mahomes. As great as he is, and I believe this is a future Hall of Famer that we're talking about, their defense, the way they upgraded the, the pass rush over the last couple of years, the back end, the secondary, bringing in Tyron Matthew, I think, was a game-changer back there, having him be the leader of that group. This is a very good defense. The selection of Clyde Edwards-Alaire at the end of the first round was a no-brainer. Now, they're bringing in Le'Veon Bell, and as much as I'd love to say Le'Veon Bell's still a great player, I need to see it first. He hasn't been a great player now in three years, and I get it. He was with the Jets and all that, and, and that was a disaster, but until I see him be better than Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I'm not ready to accept that Hilaire should lose carries to Le'Veon Bell. But we're getting a little off, off track talking about the Chiefs. I'd like to talk about the Bills, and frankly, there's a lot to talk about, and there's a lot of concern. So are the Bills, who are now 4-2 after getting their asses handed to them last night, just getting manhandled on both sides of the line of scrimmage, are they closer to the 4-0 team we saw through the first four weeks or the 0-2 team we saw the last two? And, and to me, that's where the question lies. Last night, Kansas City's time of possession advantage, they had the ball for 37 minutes and 45 seconds, meaning the Bills only had it for 22 minutes and 15 seconds. That's simply unacceptable, and you can't win football games with a time of possession disadvantage like that. Kansas City ran the ball 46 times. Now, I'd like to give Sean McDermott credit and say that his game plan, he and Leslie Frazier, was that we're not going to let Mahomes go wild. We'll give up the run, but we're not going to let Mahomes have one of those 400-yard games with five touchdowns. Well, if that's the case, mission accomplished. 
because Mahomes only threw for 225 yards. Now, the 245 yards that Casey ran the ball for was the difference in the game. But let's not forget, as much as the Bills theoretically decided they were going to take away Mahomes, he was 21-26. and 26. He only missed five passes. He had guys open all night. He had very little pass rush to deal with. The Bills did muster a sack. So what's the problem? What's go- Is it Josh Allen playing from behind, trying to force things? At the end of the game last night, he threw an interception. It didn't matter. And, and it was funny that I saw a breakdown last night on ESPN where it was said he's throwing to nobody in particular. Well, Cole Beasley was right there. It wasn't a good pass, and it was a great interception. But that had nothing to do with the game. The game was over by that point, in part because Sean McDermott did another bad coaching job in-game, and I'll get to that. But I want to start with where the problem lies defensively for the Buffalo Bills, and the biggest part of the defense of problem, to me, is up front the defensive line. Yes, we could say that with the injury to Levi Wallace and Matt Milano, the back seven is, is, is bothered a little bit. And Milano was certainly missed last night in coverage. Travis Kelsey was open all night long. But I got to talk about the defensive line first. Because if you look at what the Bills have done, how they've maneuvered to build this team, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, their vision, they bring in Star Latulale. And I want to start there. The star who opted out was a key part of this defense. He doesn't show up on stat sheets, and, and Bills fans really don't like Star Latulale. He got a lot of criticism, but he also ties up blockers and allows the guy next to him, whether it was Kyle Williams, whether it was last year Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, whoever, make plays. Ed Oliver is on a milk carton right now in Western New York. I know he's been dinged, hurt his knee early on, but this is a guy that last year was the ninth overall pick in the draft, and he's simply got to be better and not invisible. I get it. Star being out means that you're getting more blocking sent your way. But if you're a first-round draft pick, a high first-round draft pick, then you've got to be better, and he simply is not. Trent Murphy was inactive last night. That was the big story pregame. That Trent Murphy and Harrison Phillips. Murphy, whose cap number this year is the fifth highest on the team at $9.8 million. You're making your fifth highest paid player for this year a healthy scratch. Harrison Phillips was a third-round pick. Coming off an ACL, so we need to be a little patient before the jury comes back with the verdict on whether or not this kid can play. But to me, this is indicative of mismanagement by Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And I know there hasn't been a whole lot of criticism of their team building. But let me go through this defensive line, the weakness of this team, the weakest part of this team, and explain why this has been a colossal failure up front. I mentioned Murphy and his 9.8 million dollar cap hit jerry hughes is the seventh highest cap hit this year it's 9.5 million jerry hughes is playing good football he's doing what he always does he gets pressure on the quarterback unfortunately for jerry hughes because nobody else is able to do their job up front that pressure isn't leading not only to his own sacks but to anybody else's sacks jerry hughes is the one football player on the defensive line that i can look at and say That guy's doing his job. Harrison Phillips, the third-round pick, was inactive last night. He was replaced by Justin Zimmer. Justin Zimmer made more plays last night than Ed Oliver has made this season. That's not saying much, but shows something. That here's a ninth overall pick who's been invisible. You bring a guy off the practice squad and he makes plays. Mario Addison was brought in this year because he's a sack machine. He's got the fourth highest cap hit at $9.9 million. Remember, at the end of last year, Shaq Lawson went to Miami, about a $10 million a year average, three years, 30. Jordan Phillips went to Arizona, very similar contract, 
And Mario Addison comes in with a similar deal. So you'd rather have Mario Addison than Star than Shaq Lawson or Jordan Phillips. That's the move. If you're going to spend the same money, that's what you're telling me. He's had a few sacks, but overall been largely ineffective. Vernon Butler came in this year, $7.3 million. Again, you lose Jordan Phillips, who last year was an impact player, If you save $2.7 million to bring in Vernon Butler to replace him, but you're not getting the same production anywhere near the same production. Quentin Jefferson also came in this year, another free agent, $6.9 million. And let's not forget that the top draft pick this offseason was a second-round pick, a kid from Iowa, A.J. Epinenza. Other than a penalty and a sack, I don't know that A.J. has done much of anything. This year, in all, the Bills cap number this year on their defensive line is over forty nine million dollars. They spend about two hundred and seventeen million in salaries overall. That equates to twenty three percent of their cap. hit. Now, let's not forget that Star Latulule would have another ten million added on to that, pushing the number to about sixty million if he hadn't opted out because of the covid. So when you look at that, the Bills, because they didn't react to Starlo Tulele opting out. That's not why they went and got Vernon Butler, Mario Addison, and Quentin Jefferson. They brought those guys in anyway. Those were the replacements for Jordan Phillips and Starlo Tulele. You're looking at a, a cap hit of somewhere close to 30% on the defensive line. You're talking about a third of the team's spending on the defensive line, and it's been awful. That's mismanagement. That's a horrible job by Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Now, is it a bad position group talent-wise, scheme-wise, effort-wise? Whatever the problem is, it's got to be fixed. And you're not going to throw more money or more picks at this position group. Are you? Oh, yeah, you have to because they're not good enough. If you look right now, the way Tremaine Edmonds is playing, last night he had 12 tackles. Did he make a play that was impactful at all? No, those 12 tackles happened downfield. Jordan Poyer had nine tackles last night. Did Jordan Poyer have a good game? The penalties last night, the two late hits, one by White, one by Poyer, had Rex Ryan been the coach? You know what the media would have been talking about this morning? The undisciplined Buffalo Bills under Rex Ryan. But under Sean McDermott, because McDermott has done so well, he gets a pass. Well, it's time to stop giving him a pass because his defense is the problem. Josh Allen wasn't good last night, especially early. However, Josh Allen battled through and kept the Bills in the game. The problem with the Bills is that defensively they are so bad that the offense has to be great. And early on in the season, when the offense was very good, they won games. The last two weeks, when the offense wasn't very good, they've been blown out. Sean McDermott last night decided when they scored a touchdown to make it 23-16, to it was a smart decision to go for one point, not go for two, just kick the extra point, make it 23-17. At 23-17... A touchdown wins you the game. I get that. If you go for two and miss it, it's 23-16. to 16. Your defense holds, you score a touchdown, you tie the game up. I'd take that, right? If you go for two and make it, it's 23-18. to 18. And you know what can happen at 23-18? to 18? If you hold your opponent to a field goal, it's 26-18. Oh, guess what? It's still a one-score game because if you go for two... After a touchdown, you make a 26-all. Sean McDermott's ability to manage a game is so far below average, and it's not getting better. That's the problem. Every week I talk about his game management, his lack of ability to handle things. It's just an area of weakness that's going to continue to hurt this team against better competition. And last night it was better competition, and he got his ass handed to him 
by his former boss, Andy Reid. It just wasn't a good night. Let me switch gears to the offensive side of the ball because the blame is not just defensively, unfortunately. And if you expect me to come out now and say the problem is Josh Allen, I'm not ready to do that. Allen's now played six games this year. And through six games, his quarterback rating is still better than anyone would have been able to anticipate. When you look at Allen right now, and you see a 108 quarterback rating, 67% completion percentage, a 16 to 4 touchdown interception ratio. And if you break that down, the four interceptions, one of them was last night in the last drive that was meaningless trying to make a play. One of them wasn't an interception. It was just some sort of horrific officiating against the Rams. One of them bounces off Andre Roberts' hands for an interception. So we're looking at one legitimate interception through the first six games of the year. One that you have to be concerned with. Okay, I can live with that. Josh Allen has made big strides this year. Is he an MVP candidate? I never thought he was one, though others did through the first four games of the year. I just thought it was amazing how this kid has worked so hard to make himself a much better player. And you continue to see that. Even last night, when the Bills are two scores down, Allen made the throws to get them into the end zone and allowed them to get back in that football game. Now, defensively, they don't hold. And by the time he gets it back, because of McDermott's mismanagement yet again, they're down two scores, the game's over. So he never had a chance to come back and tie it up. Now, McDermott go, opts to go for two. They get the two. Well, then you, you never know what would have happened on that last drive. Maybe things come out a little bit differently. But we'll never know because of that. The problem offensively isn't Josh Allen. The problem isn't the wide receivers. The problem is the offensive line and the running backs are not doing their job. And as much as I really like Devin Singletary, he's simply not getting the job done. And I think part of it is mismanagement. Last night he was 10 for 32. 10 carries, 32 yards. It's not good enough. It's got to be better. But the Bills drafted Zach Moss this year, third round. And in camp, when there is no camp, there is no preseason, people are talking about Zach Moss taking carries away from Devin Singletary. I'm sorry, but I'd like to see some success at the NFL level before I take a guy who's shown me success and, and move him out the, out of the way. And last night, Zach Moss got five carries, 10 yards. He's yet to show me much of anything at the NFL level. Now, I'm not saying this guy's a bust. I'm just saying it's mismanagement to give him carries over Devin Singletary at this point. If you've got Devin Singletary getting 15 carries, maybe something pops. Maybe the offensive line and Singletary get a little bit of a rhythm. You know, combined, they're 15 for 42. That's not good enough. The offensive line's got to do a better job. And I know there's been injuries up front. I know that John Feliciano being out with that torn pack has been a factor. Last night, Quint, last night uh, Ford goes down. Quentin Spain's been hurt. You've got Brian Winters in there. It, it, it's, a, it's a mess up front. It's not good enough. Cody Ford hasn't been good now for two years. And, uh, again, come back to Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, team building. This is a guy who was a second-round draft pick. I thought he was a guard when they drafted him. They tried him at tackle last year. It didn't work. Darrell Williams is now playing tackle. Ty Secchi last year was a better tackle. This year they decided to move him to guard. Last night there were a couple plays where he cleaned whiffed in the interior. You can't do that. You whiff in the interior, your running back's going to get crushed or your quarterback's going to get crushed, and that's what happened. So as much as we were canonizing Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, through the first four weeks of the year, this team right now needs to get better. And the players they've selected need to get better. you got to look at a guy like Cody Ford and A.J. Epinenza and say, you guys are high draft picks. 
there's a reason we selected you. Show us some return on our investment. The the guys they brought in, Mario Addison and, and Jefferson, these guys at Butler, they've got to be better players. Simply put, whether it's a scheme, whether it's a talent, Sean McDermott needs to go back to the drawing board and figure this out and do so immediately. Now, this week, the Bills get the Jets. The Jets are awful and getting worse. I I honestly wouldn't be shocked if by the end of today, Sam Darnold is a member of the Dallas Cowboys. It wouldn't shock me at all. Cowboys are a disaster. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But you think about the Jets, they're going to go winless Maybe win one game. They will win one game. I'm going to go out on a limb. The hot take of the day, the Jets are going to win a game this year. Mark it down. Book it. Because nobody goes winless, although this Jets team with Adam Gates really might. You you know, the Bills play them this week. This needs to be a get-well game in the Meadowlands for the Bills. They need to go there and dominate this Jets team. This isn't, uh, you know, we could go there, get a win, it's in division, it's on the road. No, no, enough of that crap. Go there and kick somebody's ass, come back feeling good because the Patriots await the following week, and the Patriots have their own troubles. They haven't been able to practice. They haven't been able to get things done. They're now a team with a losing record, which is why the Bills are still in first place. I always like to divide the schedule up into quarters. I've done it a few times. So, we're in the middle of quarter two, and the Bills in quarter two right now are 0-2. They will beat the Jets. That's 1-2. and two. The Patriots, I don't think they beat them. I really don't. Until I see the Bills beat the Patriots, I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. When you're one-dimensional offensively the way the Bills are, I think the Patriots' defense shut down the Bills' offense. I think they take Josh Allen out of it and dare – the Bills to let Singletary beat them. And frankly, the Bills' run blocking and run game isn't good enough to do that. The other side of the coin is Patriots run the ball pretty well. Cam Newton presents a problem. Well, the Bills can't stop anybody on the ground. They can't stop anybody through the air. I think that's a dogfight that could go either way. The next quarter, quarter three, Seattle at home. That's not a win. Russell Wilson's going to win that game. At Arizona, Arizona looked pretty good last night. I think that's a tough game because the Bills have to go out west. The bye week, the Chargers at home, that should be a win for the Bills. And then at San Francisco, the 49ers looked much better with Jimmy G last week. So I'm not sure that's much better than a one in three quarter. And then the final quarter of the season, Steelers at home, can't see the Bills winning that one. I can't see them beating that Steelers defense. At Denver and at New England and Miami, I think that's a 2-2 two and two quarter. This, this is a 9-7 and seven football team. This is a good football team. It's not a great football team. It's not a team that's going to compete for a championship. I still think it's a playoff team, but I also think there needs to be a lot of turnover to get this team to a championship level. The offensive line interior has to improve. And if bringing John Feliciano, he if he comes back healthy, I think that's a big step towards it. I think that really will solidify and give some attitude to the offensive line. So maybe that can be fixed this year. But the defensive line, there are a lot of guys making a lot of money, and they are stealing money at this point. Unless we see improvement from guys like like Ed Oliver, like Trent Murphy. Maybe last night will be a wake-up call for Murphy. But frankly, if I'm Brandon Bean, somebody wants a pass rusher, move Trent Murphy on. Move Harrison Phillips on. If you have these guys that are healthy scratches and may have value to another team, and you could get a fifth or sixth-round pick, send them onward because you're not going to use them and they're not going to make you better. So it is not crisis time in Buffalo, but it's certainly a very important time, and it's a time that the Bills have to work defensively. McDermott 
Frazier, they've got to fix this. You can't go into a team, can't go into a game saying we're going to take away one part of your team and then just totally give up the other part. They did it against Tennessee when they were going to shut down Derrick Henry. For the most part, they did. But Ryan Tannehill got him. Last night, we're not going to let Mahomes beat us. Well, Clyde Edwards-Alaire did. The problem in, in, in this league, when you go against a good team, a multiple offensive team, you've got to be stout defensively. And right now, the Bills are as bad defensively as any team in the league not called the Dallas Cowboys. Brings me to my next topic, the Dallas Cowboys. I've said this a, a few times. You look at me, I, I am an old dude. And I've been watching Dallas Cowboys football since I was a little kid. In all of those years, which amount to over 50, I have never seen a defense this bad. Never in my life. The Cowboys have a lot of shiny new toys, and this is what Jerry Jones does. Jerry loves a shiny toy. Loves a splash. Oh, yeah. CeeDee Lamb fell to them this year, and I won't say anything bad about that pick because I believe in drafting, you stick to your board. If the player on your board is a player of position of strength, you still take him because he's a better player and you're more likely to hit with that player than you are if you move somebody up to fill a position of need. Or you trade down one or the other because somebody else may want that shiny new toy as well. C.D. Lamb isn't the Cowboys' problem. Selecting C.D. Lamb is not the Cowboys' problem. The fact that they've got as bad a situation on their defensive line as anybody in the NFL, their defensive tackles, Terry Poe and Antoine Woods, are just terrible defensive tackles. They get moved out of the, the middle of the play so easily, it's ridiculous, which then creates a situation for the linebackers. And the linebacker play was a little better last night. Leighton Vander Esch came back, so that moves Jalen Smith back to his normal position. But it doesn't matter because the secondary is actually the weakness of the group. The secondary is atrocious. You let Byron Jones walk to Miami. Boy, are they happy to have him, by the way. The one good defensive player they had back there, you let him go. And this team is a bunch of guys back there other than Diggs, the rookie out of Alabama, who have no business being on an NFL football field. They are giving up easy touchdowns week after week through the air, and it's a couple reasons why. There is no pass rush. Demarcus Lawrence signed that big contract, and he just went away. I don't know what the deal is with him. And you look, there's one guy who's playing pretty well, Alden Smith. Alden Smith hasn't played in the NFL in five years, and he's by far the Cowboys' best defensive lineman. They went out and brought in Everson Griffin from Minnesota this year. He's been awful. It's just crazy to look at how bad the defense is. And then, of course, last night, one of their true good players, Ezekiel Elliott, you knew the burden was going to fall on Elliott with Dak Prescott's injury. Andy Dalton can play a little bit at quarterback with the weapons they have. You would think it'd be okay. But, of course, then you look at the offensive line. Travis Frederick, their best center possibly in the NFL. He was either first or second to Kelsey in Philadelphia. He decides to retire before the start of the season. Then you've got Leal Collins, who hasn't played it down this season. He hurt his hip in camp, out for the year, had surgery. Tyron Smith, who's always injured, is now an IR, done for the year. And then early last night, Zach Barton gets concussed. He's one of the true, very good interior offensive linemen in the NFL. That's four Pro Bowl players out of the game. That's four Pro Bowl players who are going to impact this team going forward, which certainly hurts Ezekiel Elliott. But the two fumbles last night, are you kidding me? This guy hasn't been the same back since he got paid. And I hate saying that about a guy because when Zeke came into the league, I thought he was the best back in the league. But if you look at his physique, you look at pictures of him when he was a rookie and versus where he's put on weight. And as a fat guy, I understand it's not always easy to say no to ice cream. 
But if you're an NFL running back making close to $10 million a year, you might want to get yourself in shape. I think Zeke's about 10 pounds heavier than he should be. And while that may not be a, a ton, it certainly affects his play. He's just not as quick as he was earlier in his career. With a bad offensive line, that is a huge, huge problem. The Cowboys have two wins on the season. They might still win the NFC East, but this team is terrible. The NFC East is the worst division in football, and it's not even close. This week, the Cowboys play the the Washington football team, and there has to be a winner. How? Can't they just look at two of them and be like, eh, just don't play. We'll give you both a loss, and it'll be all good. The other game is the Giants and Philly. That's a Thursday night special. Can't wait to watch that. Two teams going nowhere. The the NFC East is something I grew up enjoying because of my Cowboy fandom. God, it's awful. It is just simply a terrible division. Right now, the Cowboys are a mess. Andy Dalton's not the problem. He's not the answer either. When you got a bad offensive line, you got to get the ball out. He does not do that. He holds the ball too long. It's a problem in Cincinnati. Certainly a problem now. Cowboys are a mess and going nowhere anytime fast. One team, I'm going to be positive. One team that's very much surprised me, and not that they're a good team. I figured they would be. When you bring Tom Brady in, you draft a tackle, number one. You're fixing some things up. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a team I thought that would light it up with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, the tight ends. You had Gronk, Tim Bray, and O.J. Howard. Howard, of course, out for the year. I thought they would light up the scoreboard. But the way the Buccaneers are winning football games is much different than I thought. Defensively, they're very good. Very good. The interior of that D-line early on in the year had Vitavea who is a former high draft pick, was playing very good, sitting next to Dominican Sue. Sue is a guy who's, first off, he's public enemy number one wherever he goes. He's a guy, I think, who's very much labeled because of three or four instances throughout his career, and rightly so. He's done things that have earned him the label he's gotten. But he's also been an impactful player wherever he's gone. And he's a player who I think has shown the ability to impact teams. And I thought he did that Sunday. He got in Aaron Rodgers' head in a big, big way Sunday. Well, take a look at this clip. And after this play, there was a lot of talking between Sue and Rodgers, and Rodgers simply didn't play well the rest of the game. Look at this. Four games. 21 seconds left, no timeouts. And now sacked again as he's shut down by Indomitian Sue. <laughs> and he gets up screaming at Rodgers. And that'll do I think the fact that Sue went back at him verbally may have been the most important part of that. It was as if Rodgers was a different player after Sue started running his mouth and hitting him, and he got a late hit on him. But that's what Sue does. I think it changed the game. JPP may not be all 10 digits anymore, but the guy could still play. He's impactful up front. The young secondary is very good in Levante David and Devin White, linebackers with speed. The NFL is a passing league. If you don't have speed at the linebacker position, see Buffalo, you are in trouble. These guys run sideline to sideline. They can blitz. They make plays at the quarterback. They have done a great job. And there's one other part of the Tampa Bay team that's been really impressive, and it's it's a two-part story. Ronald Jones has had three 100-yard games in a row. That's good. The other part of the story is, that that means that young offensive line is doing their job as well. 
I questioned going into this year whether the defense was enough, whether the offensive line was enough. Right now, Tom Brady's further down the road part of the story. He hasn't won a game for them yet. As a matter of fact, I'll make the argument he lost the game in Chicago because he didn't know the down. Brady has been part of the problem, not the solution. Now, I don't expect it to stay that way. Brady's fine. He's not the quarterback he was, obviously, five years ago. But at 43, what did you expect? The point is, this is a well-rounded team with a guy who's capable at quarterback. And I think as the season goes along, we're going to see them get better and better because Brady will make throws down the field, because there's going to be some things. Gronk is now getting involved offensively. They're growing as an offense. They're growing as a defense. This may be the team to beat in the NFC South, which considering the fact that the New Orleans Saints are in that division, I never thought I'd say that. But the Saints right now aren't as complete of a football team as the Buccaneers are. Keep an eye on that as we go through. Talking about good teams, and here's one that I'll just I'll admit it. I always like to have an answer or give a theory or give you something. Chicago Bears are 5-1, and one and I have no freaking idea how. Yes, they're good defensively. Khalil Mack is still one of the best pass rushers in the league. But you look at this team, they're just not that good, are they? But yet they win. They continue to win. Nick Foles, I remember when he was 27 touchdowns and two interceptions with with the Eagles a couple of well, many years ago now. I never thought he was that good. But he continues when he comes in as a backup and replaces a starter. There's something about that transition. He gets the job done. He's doing it again in Chicago. I don't know how, but this is a good football team, and they're going to be tough to beat if they continue to play as good a team football as they play week in, week out. This this past weekend was one of those games that we looked at. And, okay, I want to see how this goes. Steelers and the Browns. The, the Steelers defensively, the trade for Minka Fitzpatrick last year, and they gave up one for Minka Fitzpatrick, a safety. What a great move. And, and the Dolphins, good for them. They got another number one pick. It was a good pick last year. Continued to build their squad down on South Beach. It was a good trade for both teams. But what it did for the Steelers is it gave something to that back end to complement what I think is the best front seven in all of football. When you have Bud Dupree on one side and T.J. Watt on the other, you know you've got the ability to rush the passer. But the Steelers also have very good interior D linemen. They've got speed at the linebacker position. They had a tough injury last weekend with – losing their best linebacker. But this is a team now with Roethlisberger getting more comfortable. I still don't think he's the same quarterback he was a couple years ago, but I don't think he has to be because this defense will win games. So what it did this weekend is it embarrassed the Cleveland Browns. Baker Mayfield came in banged up. And when Kevin Stefanski decided that Baker was going to get pulled, he brought in, Case Keenum said after the game he didn't want Baker to be hit anymore. I'm not buying that. That was, we're going to make a switch because Baker Mayfield's not getting the job done. And, you know, these third-year quarterbacks, Baker, Josh Allen, Rosen, Sam Darnold, and even Lamar Jackson, this is a huge year because after this year, you have to figure out whether or not you're going to apply your fifth-year option to that quarterback or let them become a free agent or sign them to a long-term deal. Right now, if you're Cleveland, you don't give Baker Mayfield a fifth-year option. You simply don't do it. That means the Browns, once again, are going to start over in the quarterback search. The Bills will do so with Josh Allen. They'll give him a fifth-year option, and they should. He's earned it. Lamar Jackson certainly has earned his. Rosen is basically a practice squad player, so that's not even a question. The biggest question is going to be Sam Darnold, where he goes, because I don't think he stays in New York. I already said I wouldn't be shocked if he's in Dallas by the end of today. Sam Darnold, does he get a fifth-year option? 
And it's amazing as as we look at the draft. You, you've got five quarterbacks. Only two of them are guaranteed to have their fifth year option picked up. It's amazing when you look at that. But the Browns they came in four and one and feeling pretty good about themselves. Thirty eight to seven later, they realize that they are not ready for prime time either. This is a league this year, maybe more so than ever, with the no training camp or the no preseason. I should say that is a gate a league of the haves and the have nots. When you have a have not going against a have, it's a blowout. When you have a pretender going against one of the haves. It's a blowout. That's what we saw with the Cleveland Browns going to Pittsburgh. The Titans, they're undefeated. I talked about them against the Bills. But this is a team with Ryan Tannehill now complimenting Derrick Henry. The defense is playing better. I I just think this is a team that's going to be a tough out in January the way they're built. Ryan Tannehill, yeah, everyone knows last week that Henry had 200 yards at the 94-yard TD run. Amazing for a guy his size, his speed. But Tannehill threw for 360 and four touchdowns. This guy continues to get the job done and continues to get better. It's amazing. They're a very good football team. I don't know what to make of the 49ers. They're another team. They get blown out at home by the Dolphins, and then they just manhandle the Rams. The Rams looked like a bad football team and they've been playing good all year but that was humiliating to me from the Rams perspective and the the 49ers they've had so many injuries but they're hanging in there and that's a team I think if they can get healthy and I know Nick Bosa's not coming back but if they can get a little more healthy I think they'll be right back to where a lot of people thought they were that West division in the NFC I would expect at least three playoff teams, at least three playoff teams to come out of there. That's pretty crazy. Remember, you could get the entire division in because of the fact that you've got seven playoff teams in each league now. So the four division winners and three wild cards, theoretically, they could all come from there. I don't see it, but I think you get three NFC West teams into the playoffs this year, which that in itself is is pretty good. The last game I want to talk about from last weekend is the Dolphins-Jets game. And I already mentioned how bad the Jets are. But I want to give some credit to Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins, what they're doing and how they're playing. When you look at this team and you think about the Dolphins with Ryan Fitzpatrick playing quarterback, they continue to get better. They're a 500 team right now. They've had some nice wins. They've had some tough losses as well. The Bills lost. They were right in that game. Could have won that one as well. But, yeah, they shut out the Jets, and that's one of those that you look at and go, yeah, but it's the Jets. But they're getting it done. And they got Tua Tugavaiola in this week, let him play a little bit. But they have an attitude, and it's in large part – the cockroach. I call him that because you can't kill a cockroach and you can't kill Ryan Fitzpatrick. This guy's as good of a teammate as there is in team sports. And I want to listen, want you to listen to an exchange between Fitz and a reporter after the game. And it's funny because Fitz gets it. He knows everyone wants to see Tua. Listen to this. The Tua question, Soffit. Bring it. No, I wasn't going to bring the Tua question, man. You got the Tua question already. That's your boy <laughs> toy, man. <laughs> All right, so I, I help know me Omar. Here, man. I know Omar like what's, that. What's the, what's the second half of the season do with you, man? What do you guys do with the second half of the season now? You After your 500, Tua's on the board here. I mean, you know, how do you guys kind of move forward here um, with the, with everything kind of going on? How do you on? think he looked in his uniform, Soffit? The huh? all white? You like that? Number one, the one was slim. You like that? Uh, <laughs> usually you can't tell if people are laughing on Zoom, but I can see Omar. Out of um, Guy just has fun. He's playing ball. He's making a bunch of money, and he's having fun. And good for him 
for having the proper perspective for where he is in his life and his career. He is one of those guys that just gets it. And I think it's permeated through the Dolphins team. They believe in him. They love the way he plays, the energy he plays in. That's a fun team to watch going forward. I think they're a team that's going to upset some people. And they'll be in the mix at the end. That Bills-Miami game in Week 16, or Game 16, Week 17, man, that could be a huge, huge game in the AFC East as things shake out. So keep an eye on that. Well, while we're talking about the NFL, I want to shift to college football, and it's still going to be part of the NFL discussion because I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson quarterback, is playing at such a high level right now. He is playing the best college quarterback position I've seen in maybe ever. I, I don't know that I've ever seen a college quarterback play better. The guy I compare him to is Andrew Luck. I think he's better as a college quarterback than Peyton Manning was. I think he's as good as Andrew Luck is. And whenever he comes out, he is without doubt, without question, the number one pick. Last week, he had five touchdowns in the first half for the season now. 15 touchdowns and one pick for Clemson, completing 73% of his passes. He's also got four rushing touchdowns. He's very athletic. He's got the prototypical size. He's got a cannon. He's smart. He gets it. They also play Syracuse. I, I got to throw this in on Saturday. They're giving up 44 and a half. Um, if they were giving up 60, I would pat on Clemson. 44 and a half is a layup. Take layups. But Trevor Lawrence is going to impact the draft this year in a big way. He's going to be the first pick, I think. Now, it was interesting. read a story in the New York Post over the weekend that Trevor Lawrence may break Jets fans' hearts the same way Peyton Manning did many years ago. And I had forgotten about this. When Bill Parcell was the Jets coach. The Jets had the number one overall pick for the second year in a row. Remember, they had taken Keyshawn Johnson, number one, and then the next year they had it again. And Peyton Manning was going to be that pick until Peyton Manning decided to go back to college for his senior year. Trevor Lawrence is a true junior. He couldn't come out until this year. If you're Trevor Lawrence and you have an opportunity to go number one overall to the Jets or go back to Clemson, have another year of hanging out on a college campus, playing hopefully in front of real fans again, and having that college experience, or getting your head kicked in for the worst franchise in the NFL, what would you do? And it wouldn't shock me if he went back to Clemson. Think about this. Here are the teams right now, and there are 10 of them. Through six weeks, 10 teams were basically a third of the way through the season now. Ten of the 32 teams only have one win. There's not balance in this NFL schedule. The teams with one win, I mentioned the Jets. They don't have any. I should say one or fewer. The Jets obviously would take Trevor Lawrence given the chance. The Giants would take Trevor Lawrence. Of course, that means Danny Dimes and Sam Darnold, one of those two guys would be elsewhere. But the Jets... We'll have a new coach. The, the GM that's there, Joe Douglas, didn't select Sam Darnold. He's not his guy. It's a no-brainer. Dave Gettleman will be out in New York. He took Danny Dimes. No-brainer if the Giants get the number one pick. The, the Washington football team, they have a quarterback. They selected number one overall last year, Dwayne Haskins, who likely will get traded before the trade deadline this year. So certainly they'd pick him. Would the Jags move on from Gardner Minshew? Yes, they would. And they'd happily get what they could for Minshew. The Falcons are going to have a new regime. They got rid of their coach. They got rid of their GM. They've got one win. And Matt Ryan. They absolutely would move on from Matt Ryan, given the chance. The Vikings, Kirk Cousins, that's a no-brainer. Kirk Cousins is hurting that team badly. His first half last week was a debacle. You've got Houston with only one win, but Miami has that pick. Now, I just talked about the Dolphins. 
Miami has two number one picks. Is there a chance, and, and two Tonga Viola, is there a chance they'd use those assets to go up and move on from Tua and select Trevor Lawrence? I think there is. The Chargers, I'm not sure they'd make a move because they have Justin Herbert and they like him a lot. He's shown quite a bit early on. Philly, they've only got one win, but Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, I doubt they'd be there. And Cincinnati, I think, is very happy with Joe Burrow. So it's going to be interesting at the top of the draft this year to see which teams will position themselves to get there. And if you're a Jets fan, keep the guy with the crazy eyes on the sideline, Adam Gase, all year long. Because the best chance your team has of getting better is Trevor Lawrence. If, if he comes out after this year. The other thing I wanted to talk about with college football is quite simply how ridiculous the Alabama football program is. Now, there was a lot of talk this last weekend about Nick Saban and, you know, Saban was tested positive for the coronavirus. And then he tested negative. He wasn't going to coach. He did coach. They go out and they throttle Georgia, just throttle. But what I wanted to point out was last year, they had two guys selected in the top 15 of the draft, and Jerry Judy to Denver and Henry Ruggs to the Raiders. And both receivers have played well as rookies this year. But you look at Alabama, say the cupboard's not bare, is ridiculous because Jalen Waddle will probably be, at worst, the second wide receiver taken this year. He's likely a top 10 pick. And Devontae Smith may be the second coming of Marvin Harrison. He's also a number one over or a first round pick. How do you have four first round wide receivers on your team last year? It's amazing. And, you know, go back to Tua for a minute. It's hard to evaluate talent when there is so much talent supporting them. I've always thought that was a problem when evaluating talent from Alabama offensive and defensive line. You're talking about five-star guys everywhere, talking about great players everywhere in the college game. How do you select who the real impact player is when everybody is an impact player? And I think because of that, on both sides of the line, you end up getting Alabama players overdrafted quite a bit. It's not the case with the wide receivers. When you look at what is going on right now with Waddle and Devontae Smith, these two kids are studs. And the Alabama program just continues. Saban, what he has done is truly amazing. We may not see a Alabama-Nick Saban situation again ever the closest we were going to see to it was Ohio State under Urban Meyer, and, and maybe that will continue to perpetuate itself now that Meyer's gone. But I think as long as Saban's there and they continue to reload, this is going to be something we won't see in college football for a long time after Saban goes. The World Series is set, and it's been really good to have two League Championship Series, two Game 7s, that was fantastic. And, you know, what Cody Bellinger did to hit that home run in the eighth inning to send the Dodgers to the series, this is one of the all-time baseball highlights. We'll be seeing it forever. Check this out. Eighth pitch has been the magic one tonight. This time he hits the ball to deep right field. Cody Bellinger has done it. And the Dodgers lead in game seven. That's as good of a home run reaction that I've seen outside of Joey Bats in Toronto a few years ago, ever. I mean, it was a huge home run. 
it was a no doubter. It was just everything, the emotions. You got game seven, but the bat flip, the stroll, man, Bellinger's a stud. Mookie Betts was so good defensively, robbing Freddie Freeman in game seven. The Braves, they had their chances. The, the base running, why Swanson's going on contact, why you get a runner hung up. He hesitates between second and third, Riley. It, it can't happen. Can't have it. You've got to play smart baseball. You've got to, you've got to not give the team extra outs, and you can't run yourself out of things. And the Braves did that in, in game seven. That Braves team is a great young ball club. They've got great young pitching. Acuna and Albies are excellent. Freeman's as good as there is in all of baseball. There's a lot to like about that Atlanta team. But this Dodger team, they're the best team in a regular season. They're now going to the World Series. They're playing the Rays. We're the second best team in the regular season. Everyone freaked out because you look at a guy like Charlie Morton dealing in game seven and gets taken out that's the way the rays do things that's their mo they're going to do what they do and frankly i don't necessarily like it but what i like about the rays and and you can say the same thing about the dodgers defense matters athleticism matters when you're building a baseball team you don't build a team full of softball players like the yankees you don't build a team out of players who can't play defense like the Mets. You build a team out of guys who are athletic, who play the game the right way. You teach them how to run the bases, how to play situational baseball, and you bring in great talent. The Mookie Betts trade, I get it that the Red Sox were rebuilding. But what I don't get is why a huge market team like the Red Sox, who are just printing cash up until this year, then again, nobody made money this year, would move on from a guy before he hits free agents. I didn't like that trade, and I get that you got out from under David Price's contract in that deal as well. But you don't trade a superstar if you're a big market team. Now, last week I said if I'm the Yankees, I trade Aaron Judge. I don't think Aaron Judge is even close to Mookie Betts. They're not even close to being the same caliber of player Mookie Betts is so good in every facet we saw it in that series with two great defensive plays one's a game-changing play in game seven Bellinger's great defensively as well it's just fun to watch two teams that put an emphasis on athleticism and defense and then they teach the guys how to play the game the right way. Looking forward to the series. Tyler Glass now goes against Kershaw tonight. Glass now, big young kid who throws hard. Should be fun to watch him. Four innings, go to the bullpen. You know that's what's going to happen. Kershaw still bitten by the bug of the postseason. Pitched okay in the championship series, but the World Series career is one and two with a 5 4 ERA. Think about that versus regular season. He's 99 games over 500 in the regular season, 175 and 76, and he's got a 2.43 ERA. His ERA in the World Series is almost three runs higher than it is in the regular season. Maybe the biggest, best player who's ever played the game, a certain Hall of Famer, who just couldn't get it done when the chips are down. Another opportunity for him to silence his critics tonight. I certainly will be watching, looking forward to this series. I think it's interesting when you've got a team that's paid $150 million more than another team. Certainly not a level playing field, but you know what? Once they run out there and start playing, money doesn't matter. It's about guys pitching, hitting, catching, running. Going to be a fun series. Hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. Be back next week with another edition of Falcon Round. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.